0: As always, we dedicate our learning to a rifu shlema for Cholim Israel for all those who are ill. In particular, please have in mind our Gavriel Pinchas Ben Devorazlata, our beloved Rabbi Maskowitz, who is finishing up his treatment, and please God, should have a full, speedy, and painless recovery. I have to be careful this morning. I think for the very first time, my wife is here for the parsha class. I can't. I have to be careful what I say. Okay, we'll do as we always do, an overview of the Parsha, and then delve into specific sukkin together. So, Parsha Tetzave begins on page 464, the article, Stone Chumash. truma. last week spoke about, we discussed last week the transition from the narrative of Levi Mitzrayim being forged from a family into a nation, a nation with a mission and a purpose, a sacred duty, as uh, exemplified by the receiving of the Torah at Harsinai. And then last week we transitioned from the narrative into the law of Truma, of the Mishkan. And we saw the Mepharsham would described that the Mishkan, the Mikdash, is supposed to be the continuation, the continuity of what we achieved at Harsinai. That closeness, that intimacy with the Almighty was so uplifting, so enriching, so amazing... We couldn't imagine life without it. We longed for it to continue. So the Rebota Shalom was responsive. And by giving us a physical place, a place actually that our parsha later describes when it concludes what the purpose is of all of this, it says, somewhere here, V'no'adati <laughs> Yisrael the noadati means a place of meeting, a place of rendezvous, a special point. It's a place to return to the experience of our sinai over and over again. And if that's what the Mishkan and the Baisamiktash represent, so if our Beis Miktash is a Mikdash Ma'at, if our I'm sorry, if our shul is a Mikdash Ma'at, if our shul is a temple in miniature, then it too is a place that we go back to when we want to retrace the experience of Harsinai. We re-experience our Sinai by going back to Shul. So last week talked about the dimensions, the materials, the construction of the Mishkan, the utensils contained therein. And this week talks more about the Koanim. Tetzava teaches about the priests, their role, the garments that they wear, and the specific distinction of clothing. The parsha begins, Tat tzavaz b'nei Israel, you, who's you? Moshe. This is the one parsha after which we're introduced to him that Moshe's name is omitted. Moshe's name is not mentioned in this parsha whatsoever. Why is Moshe's name omitted? We studied this previously. The famous reason which is given is because Moshe says when a kodesh Baruch wants to respond harshly, when he wants to wipe out the Jewish people after the chayta ego, Moshe says, "Don't do it." And if you do it, erase me from your book. God says, erase me from your book, erase you from my book, okay. Is that what you want? He takes Moshe out of Parshat Tetzava. The Balaturim at the beginning of our Parshah discusses this. From the moment Moshe is born and we're introduced to him, this is the first Parshah where he's not mentioned. And the reason is because Moshe threatened God. And God called Moshe's bluff. From the book, no problem. The Kill was Chacham Afilo Atanai The Gemara Mako says that when a Chacham, when a Tzadik offers a Klala, even when it's offered Al on condition, nevertheless it is fulfilled. But the Baal Turim offers other answers. As I said, we discussed this previously. Really, who should have been the high priest? Who should have been designated in this role? Moshe! Moshe was destined to be the spiritual leader of the people. So what happened? Why did Moshe not realize that destiny? Because when HaKadosh Baruch Hu recruited him, he hesitated. He demurred, he rejected. Which we talked about also previously. and it's, it's bizarre. God Almighty taps you for a mission. It's not the time for humility. You know, they ask you to be honored at the shul dinner. You say, oh, who, me, what did I do? I don't deserve it. Somebody else. Even then you should accept so that you don't give the rabbi more gray hair. But, okay, so you're going to be offered. They say, would you like shlishi? You want to dive in of who am I? No, I'm nothing. God says, I need you to take my people out there suffering. I need you to liberate Auschwitz. You don't say while well, they're suffering in the gas chambers, oh, who am I? What am I? I don't know. I'm not cut out for it. So how Moshe, what was the havamina? What was Moshe thinking? Moshe is criticized. The Balaturim here on our parsha says Moshe ultimately did not receive that position of distinction. He was not the coin Gadol because he hesitated, and God said, "You are hesitating. No problem. You will not be recorded in perpetuity. It will not be your children and your progeny who will serve that role." So this Pasha which delineates the distinction of the Kahnim, the special and unique role they play, the clothing that elevates them, Moshe's name is not mentioned. But why? The two key words in this Balaturam that are so beautiful, the sensitive words are Ibn Agmas Nafsho. Not because God wanted to rub it into Moshe that He blew it, but the opposite. Because it would cause Agmas Nefesh. It would cause unnecessary pain to Moshe it's a very important lesson sometimes when a person blows it they don't need to be reminded they don't need to be criticized they don't need to be told the very fact that they've blown it that they've lost an opportunity the very consequences of their mistake is a punishment enough you don't need to add to it you don't need to add to it I learned that lesson the hard way once somebody I know nobody I'm related to got pulled over for a speeding ticket and called me. And instead of saying, oh, it's so terrible, oh, I feel so bad, Ah, oh, that's so miserable, I hate when that happens. So what oh, are you doing speeding? I can't believe you got a ticket, it's gonna cost money, I point, the in insurance, what's the matter? And that individual, who will remain nameless, said, you think I'm sitting here with the car behind me and the lights on, I need you to tell me that I shouldn't have been speeding. You think that's what I need to hear right now? You think I called so you could yell at me? Why was I speeding and in the insurance and the points and the money and the I know the consequences. So Mugne Agmas Nafsha. Moshe's name is omitted, not because God wants to rub it in. Ah, you blew it, you should have accepted, because now you're not the calling God all. But says the Balatur, M'bne Agmas Nafsha, it's the opposite. God doesn't need to say Moshe's name when he's talking about the calling because he doesn't need to rub it in. He doesn't need to remind him. And and the Baal goes on. Another reason we mentioned this previously, Rabbi Sachs. Lord Sachs brings that Moshe's name is not mentioned is because one of the greatest expressions of effective leadership, one of the greatest qualities of a true leader, is the capacity to be metzantzeh themselves. True leadership means that you don't have to be front and center. Your name doesn't have to be in light. You don't have to make every decision or every speech. It doesn't all have to revolve around you. True leadership is the capacity in the model of the Ribono Shalolam himself. The Kabbalistic idea is the ability to be Mitzamtsi, Means a Kodesh who is the infinite. To put this Kabbalistic idea simply, which is basically the only way I can understand it. Right, one plus one equals two. A hundred plus one is a hundred and one. A million and one is a million and one. What is infinity plus one? It's not tough math. What's infinity plus one? It's infinity. The one contributes nothing to infinity that infinity doesn't already contain therein. Infinity one, a million, a trillion, doesn't add to infinity. So how does the infinite make room for something else? How do we, how do any of our lives matter if there is an infinite being who is already taking up all the world? How do our lives matter? How do our lives mean anything? So when Hashem created the world, the Kabbalists explain... Perhaps the most gracious and generous thing he did was to be mitzamtim himself. He, re, he restricted himself. He, what's the word I'm looking for? It's more, he contracted himself. Thank you. Uh, our gate Kabbalist in the back. He contracted himself. By contracting, he made room for others. And leadership follows to be mitzamtim. So Lord Sack says, Moshe's name is not mentioned when we're talking about the Kohanim, perhaps because it's the Kohanim's time. It's their role it's their leadership, and Moshe doesn't have to take up all the space, he doesn't have to take all the air out of the room, he's able to retreat and he's able to retract and contract and make room for others. Okay, that's all the beginning of the Parsha, that's not what I want to study. The Tetzavah is B'nai Yisrael, so you, that was all because we asked who's you. You is Moshe, but Moshe's name is not mentioned, perhaps for some of the reasons that we said, the Balaturah the Svarno also has a reason, Lord Saxe's reason, and so on. So what is Moshe's role, the nameless Moshe, his role here? To take the pure olive oil in order to light the lamp, which will be lit, tamid. La'alos ner tamid. Tamid is one of the themes of our parsha. Our parsha begins and ends with the theme of tamid. It begins with having the menorah lit tamid, which does not mean constantly, because the menorah was not lit 24 hours a day. The menorah burned out. And in the end of the parsha, where well, we have the korban tamid, the sacrifice which was offered, which also was not tamid, the carbon Tamid was offered in the morning and in the afternoon, but it was not offered continuously throughout the day. So what does the word Tammid mean? By fl- Flug spoke brilliantly recently at his son's Bar Mitzvah, about the difference between continuously and and constantly. Thank you for those who were at the same Continuously and constantly. Tamid can mean either and can mean both. And the truth is the overlap between between the two. So where does this take place in the in the Mikhtav Parochas, and so on? But now the the essence, the central part of our parsha, are the koanim and the different garments that they wear. That's what we're going to look at in a moment. The eight garments of the daily Kohen, the four garments of the High Priest on Yom Kippur, the golden garments the Kohen wears regularly, the white garments that the High Priest wears specifically on Yom Kippur during the service. These garments and their roles and the. Uh, the atonement that each and every one of them achieve, the Torah goes through each of them each of them, uh, at length. We then have the inaugural ritual, which was when uh, Moshe is able to sanctify the, uh, the priest, the Mishkan, and so on through the act of sacrifices. Before the opening day at the Mishkan, before Aaron really begins his service, Moshe serves a very fascinating thing, Moshe who's denied playing the role of Kohen Gadol on a regular basis, gets one opportunity before the curtain goes up, in the rehearsals Moshe has a 7 day rehearsal where they go through a dry run of how the Mishkan will how the Mishkan will function, and it's Moshe who gets that opportunity to do it and then as I said, the parsha ends with the Korban Tamir which there's much to say about this there's a medrash which doesn't really exist. The medrash is quoted by a number of achronim, including the Ein Yaakov. The uh, medrash doesn't really exist. Nobody's found the actual medrash, which describes that the Tanaim got together and debated what's the most important pasuk in the Torah. We discussed this previously as well. Every pulpit rabbi has. One suggestion was it's Shema, the unity of God's existence, monotheism. That is the essence of our religion. Another suggested that it's not Shema. So you have to love your neighbor at yourself. Interpersonal relationships. Loving God's on the children, that's the essence of our religion. And the third said, no, it's like Kevazachat Tassel and Bukharos, like Kevazachat Ashenita Abayim. It's that the first sheep you bring in the morning and the second sheep you offer in the afternoon, you never miss a day. They had a convention, they all gathered, they took a vote, which Pasuk won according to the legendary Medrash? Kevazachat. Kevazachat. Come on. Shmah. That's every Jewish child has heard of what does that do for you bring a sheep in the morning bring a sheep in the afternoon are you kidding so all the Mepharshim explain it's the notion of consistency it's the essence of who we are it's the essence of who we are the korban and was offered in the Beit HaMikdash every day including Shabbos when the offering required one to supersede the laws of Shabbos every day Shabbos, Yantif, Yom Kippur. Never miss a day. Rain, sleet, snow. Whatever was going on in the Carbon Tamid was Tamid. Never miss a day. It's the idea of consistency. And the idea of consistency makes a lot of sense if you believe that our relationship with the Rebona Shalom is a relationship. It's like marriage. You don't take a vacation from marriage because you happen to be on vacation. The rules of your marriage are not different because you happen to be away from your spouse. There's never a day off. From marriage. There's never a day off from honesty. There's never a day off from integrity. There's never a day off from davening or tefillin. There's never a day off from the life that lifestyle that we've accepted or that Torah demands of us. Because if we're in a relationship with Hashem, the obligations to that relationship are not temporary. They're not suspended. You don't take a vacation. They're never on break. Just like in marriage. Just like a parent can't say to children, you can't bother me today when you're crisis because I'm on vacation from you. When you have children, you are a parent of When you're married, that vow requires tamid. And when you are an observant Jew and you accept Torah as binding, it is tamid. And that's represented. That's the symbol of why that pasik is the most important. Our parsha, of course, ends with the mizbeah hakitorah, the incense altar. All the Mufarshima are bothered. Where did that section belong? Not at the end of the parsha's Tzavah. Where does the description of the incense altar, its dimensions, its materials, its building, its role, where did that belong? Where did it belong? Not a trick question. In Pashas Truma. Parshish Truma has it, elaborates on all of the Kalim and the Mishkan. So why is the Mizbev HaKetorah at the end of the Tzavah not in Truma where it belongs? That's your homework assignment for this Shabbos. Okay, what I want to study this week... Is Parak Chav Ches Pasuk Aleph. Parak Chav Ches Pasuk Aleph. This is where we actually left off when we were studying this last time. Says the Torah, "The and you, who's you, Moshe." Hakreve Elacha is Aaron Achichav that is Bana Vito mitoch bnei Yisrael l'chah hanuli. Aaron Nadav Avihu. Elazar veisamar b'nei Aaron. You motion, bring near to yourself, draw close to you. Aaron, your brother, his sons from among b'nei Israel, and who are they? Aaron. Who should you draw close? In case you don't know who your brother is, Aaron Achicha is Aaron repeated. Nadav Elazar veisamar b'nei Aaron. Aaron has four sons. When is this description? When is this commandment? It says Rashi. Laachar. After you're done building the Mishkan, when the Mishkan is constructed, when Parshas Truma is complete, it's time for Parshas to tzavah. Draw your brother and his children close to you. Draw them close. Look at the Balaturim. V'yata hakre Aaron Achicha. Balaturim was bothered by our question. Aaron Why is Aaron's name mentioned three times? I don't know who he is. Aaron Achicha. Aaron... The four children, Bnei Aaron, the sons of Aaron. Why is Aaron's name mentioned four times? Three times, rather. Remes l'shlosha kolanim Aaron elazar It's a hint that while right now you're going to draw close four sons, Nadav Aviyu elazar Ultimately, only there will be three kolanim remaining. What happens to Nadav A'vil? The tragic death on the day of the inauguration of the Mishkan. Who will remain? El Azar, Itamar, two cities in Israel named for them, the children of Aaron and Aaron. That's why Aaron's mentioned three times, says and perhaps to hint an allusion to that. Or Gimul Pa'am Lachan Olibi Parsa, Keneged Bayez Risham, Bayashani, Ula Asid Bayas sholishi The three times Aaron's name is mentioned is to talk about the three periods in which the role of the Kohanim will be significant. The first temple, second temple, and Bimira of the third Beis Mikdash as well. Says the Ramban. Why does the Parsha, why does the Pasuk have to delineate the four sons of Aaron? Look at the Ramban. This is the actual establishment of being Kohanim. Moshe and Aaron come from the same father. So how could they, why is Moshe not a Cohen and Aaron is? They come from the same father, they come from the same tribe, the tribe of Levi. So within the tribe of Levi, why is one line, one family line considered the Kohanim? Because God ordained them, established them as koanim. When did that happen? Right now. They're designated, blessed, they're designated to be the koanim. It happens right now. So who is included in this designation, says the Ramban. Anyone who descends from Aaron who's alive? No, only these four. And that's why the Torah says it. Nadav Samar, Ben Aaron. You, Aaron, and your four immediate sons, you are transformed, you are immediately ordained to be Kohan. But anyone else from your lineage who happens to be alive right now is not. They will need their independent ordination. They will need their independent becoming a Kohen. When does that become practical? With whom? With Pinchas. You know the old joke they say? The guy who comes to the... This is the oldest joke in the world. If you don't know this joke the guy who comes to the rabbi and he wants to get the Kohen aliyah and he's willing to pay all this money and the rabbi says, I can't do it. Like, yeah, I'll pay this money. I'm sorry, I can't. I'll build your new shul. Okay, we can work it out. But tell me, why do you want to be, get the Kohen aliyah so badly? Because my father was a Kohen, my grandfather was a Kohen, my great-grandfather. Ah, okay, fine. The classic joke. So when God awards Pinchas, Pinchas is the zealot. Pinchas acts with zealousness and kills those who are desecrating Hashem's name. And what's his reward? Bris shalom, but he becomes a coin. And of course, everyone looks at that partial and says, huh? That's his reward. He becomes a coin. Pinchas ben Elazar ben aren't a coin. Isn't Pinchas a coin because his father's a coin? His grandfather's a coin? That's his reward? That's what he negotiates with the Almighty? Shem says, look, I'm pretty impressed. Everybody else did nothing. They stood still. They were indifferent and apathetic, and you stepped in. What do you want? Well, I want to be a Kohen, because my father's a Kohen, my grandfather's a Kohen. That's his gift, that's his reward. So the Ramban here is explaining what happens later. The reason Pinchas needs to be rewarded independently with being a Kohen is because he was not included in the briskahuna right now. Only Aaron and his four sons, and those who would be born to them. But those who were already alive and not included with them need to independently become Kohen. That's what the Ramban is explaining here. Okay. Let's look at the Kliyakar. hakreve lecha. Why do they become koanim? What is the process through which they are distinguished? By Moshe drawing them close. Why does Moshe draw them close? hakreve lecha. You draw close to you, draw near to you your brother and his children. L'cha'ano li. In order to become koanim to me. The process, the ritual, the ceremony in which they will become distinguished is Kaanim, is Moshe drawing them close. Why? Says the Kuyakar. Is Aharon deserving of this position of distinction? Yeah, Moshe blew it. When God recruited Moshe to be the leader to take the people out, Moshe hesitated, he blew it. Did Aaron have his bad moment of judgment? Thank you. When did Aaron blow it? I'm sorry to speak in such indifferential language. But when did Aaron make his mistake? (laughs) Khaitaegal says the Klayakar. And just like the B'chor, the firstborn, were supposed to be the Kohanim, they're out, they made their mistake. Which, since we're now close to Pesach, I'll tell you, the chiddush of Rav Shlomo Arbuch, Zatzal, this is the 20th Yeritai this year, Rav Shlomo So I'll tell you his chiddush about Tainus uh, Why do the firstborn fast on our Pesach? We usually think because they were spared death in the last and most punitive plague. But if that's the case, asks for Shlomo and Arbach, then women should fast too. Firstborn girls were also, according to at least one position, included in the plague. So why did firstborn females not fast? And he has a whole list of questions he asks about why fast and why you fasting specifically then and all kinds of questions. So he actually comes up with this big chiddush of Shlomo and and he says, the real reason the firstborn, the Bechor fast on Erev Pesach, which by the way is not even mentioned in the Gemara, it's a later concept. The real reason the firstborn fasts is because what role were the firstborns supposed to play? They were supposed to be the covenant. They were supposed to be our spiritual guides and mentors. They were supposed to be the ones who functioned in the Beis HaMikdash. What happened? Why aren't, why aren't they in that role? Hmm? They were part of the feitega, so therefore they didn't. Uh, they were not included in that in that role. That distinction was removed from them. So what is the day that more carbonos are brought than any other, where a person who should have had that role is terribly saddened by the fact that they made the mistake and they didn't get it? Er Pesach. Er Pesach is when the carbon Pesach is offered for all of Kla Israel. They come chabura after chabura, group after group, to the base of Mikdash with their animal. Nicole and the Kohanim are working overtime. So it says of Shlomazam, and the reason they fast is as a form of tshuva, of atonement, of regret, of remorse. How could they have made that mistake? So the Kliyakar says, first of all, Bechore Yisrael. The Israel Yisrael blew it. And Aaron blew it. Moshe blew it. So how did Aaron end up with it? In and say Tzvar and Tess, Moshe recounts history, and in the context of recounting history, Moshe says, "God got angry at Aaron, and I davened on his behalf. Aaron, although with noble intent, made a miscalculation when the episode of the ego, which we'll study next week, occurred. What is Per on Wednesday?" Thursday, so we'll study next. When's this class? Tuesday? Oh, no, we won't. I'm away. I'm at APEC. Okay, you'll study on your own next week. So, uh, Aaron miscalculated. He miscalculated, although with noble intentions, and the only way he was able to survive is because Moshe davened sincerely on his behalf. Then Yitzfil Azusa told Moshe, "Batz, molem ar halo achim v'sarihu, v'shma atokil u'nechal chazi v'sari, kedersheis pala lamiriam." Moshe appeals to Hashem and says, "Aaron is my flesh. Aaron is my brother. If you take him away, it's as if you've taken half of me." Nim tashva avur shakir v'moshe ilav alakein nivchar v'schus moshe. Beautiful kliaker. Why is Moshe the one who's credited with distinguishing, with elevating Aaron? Because Aaron really didn't deserve it either. He should have had the same fate of Moshe, who blew it, and the B'chori Yisrael, who blew it. How did Aaron emerge? Because HaKrev Eilecha. Because Moshe drew him near? Because Moshe dafted with all of his being on his behalf. And Moshe put Aaron before himself and he said to God, If you do something to my brother, it's as if you're taking half of me. Kuiyakar offers a second suggestion. Dabarachher. Lekach nemer b'toth b'nei Yisrael. Lepish e'en ha-nevu a-shorah an-nevi'e Yisrael. Ki im b'schus Yisrael. K'moshe Piresh Rashi. Parashat Dvaram al-posik v'aidabeh Hashem Eilei. Ubalomas Achabishaya Arum Roy Lariko Mikomakum Kiuvo Asha Bavur Schneidvorm. Hacha Bavor Moshe, Kiwahi Who de Shao, who shamosha, the Ashnea who beshus Bene Israel. Shaitzri and Mako and Kaza Osa Shalom. The Karnam Rushnay, Yatakelacha, Mitoch Bene Israel. No steakar, you have a dual two things taking place. Mosh is drawing him near, and it's from He is emerging from the midst of the Jewish people. Why the double language, says the Kliyakar? Because Aaron's distinction results from both. Moshe draws him close. Moshe is the selfless leader who puts his brother's fate before his own. But also, Aaron emerges this leader not because of him, but because the people need him. And the Kliyakar here offers an incredible lesson to leaders. Never think it's about you. Never think it's to your credit or it's in your merit, or it's about you. It's about the people you serve. You serve at the pleasure of the people. You serve in the merit of the people. You serve the needs of the people. So it's mitoch b'nei Yisrael. Aaron, if you're going to have this position of distinction, don't think, which we know Aaron never did because of his humility, but any leader, don't think that you have risen to this position because of you. You have risen to this position because the people whom you serve, who need you. The Or also has something to say here. Tam The parasha already began, viata So why is it repeating it a second time? hakreve l'acha. We already know. Hashem is in the midst of talking to Moshe. So why does it have to be repeated? Says the orachayim tam Umra yata gam hamar loshem gam hamar tevas elacha yata hakreve elacha. It's all extraneous. It could have just said Hakrave elacha. Could have said yata hakreve es aron. What's yata hakreve elacha? Yisboil derach ha umram ki akhuna Salamana ha yisal lemana elo etzad shemoy leleches bedvar hashem achakama poanim Khara hashem Bo. veisir lo nigvir the Arachayim, like the Kliyakr, says, of Shalolim recruited Moshe numerous times, and Moshe hesitated. <laughs> says the says you know why you're drawing Maron near? V'ata, because of you. It's kind of the opposite of the ball tour before, we said, Agmas Nafish. Hashem left Moshe's name out not to make him feel bad. Here the Orachayim is saying, Hashem wanted Moshe to feel bad. This could have been you. V'yata hakrevei Hashem could have found another means to elevate Aaron, but He does it specifically through Moshe. Why? He wants Moshe to know and feel this could have been you. V'yata hakrevei You know why hakrevei Laha? You know why you're giving it to Aaron? Because of the atta because of you. Because you made a mistake. Because of poor judgment. Because of the consequences you're now suffering. Yes. a job So maybe of Right. Moshe had another leadership role to play. How could he have played both? But maybe not only Moshe, maybe it's talking about his children. Moshe's children did not indeed become Kalanim. They lost that position of distinction. So maybe not him specifically, but maybe it's his children. Okay, let's go. Pasuk base, because we have to do more than one Pasuk today. And what is the means? What is the medium? What is the mechanism through which Aaron and his children will be distinguished? How do they play that elevated role? Through the clothing that they wear. Make fashion for our own holy clothing, lechavod ule What is the goal of this clothing? It's dual. It's covered for honor and tifaris, glory and for splendor. Says the Ibn Ezra, the hasisa bigdei kodesh Nikru Kane. Why are they called holy clothing? Is clothing ever holy? Clothing is fabric. It's material. What's holy about fabric? Bigdei Kodesh, holy clothing. Bavur sheyishrusuben b'makom hakodesh. Well, therefore, the kulam because you're going to use them in a holy place, because they're going to serve a holy purpose, because they're going to transform you to a holy people, they themselves become holy. Says the Ibn Ezra, and what is their purpose? It's dual. She is bahem ki ein echad Says the Ibn Ezra So there's a famous Chakira of Achronim. If you learn Kachim and you learn about the details of the Big Day Kahuna. Is the Big Day Kahuna a din in the Ka'anim or is it a din in Korbanos? Is it that you're Nishken if you're not wearing Big Day Kahuna? Which the Gemara Menachah says explicitly, Zvachim, rather, says explicitly that a Kohen without day kahuna is a zar. A Kohen not wearing the clothing of the Kohen has the same halachic status as a non-Kohen. It's the clothing that make the man. Is it a din? Is the clothing a halacha in the individual, in the, in the Or is it a halacha in the avoda, In the korbanos? That a korban offered by somebody not wearing the clothing is not a korban. Is it a din in the kohen, is it a din in the korban? Is it a din in the avodah? So here the Ibn Ezra says, what's the purpose of the big day kohuna? These clothing provide glory, and honor, and splendor for whom? The kohenah. Ein This is the uniform of the kohen. Nobody else wears clothing like it. The sfarno disagrees. Says the Sfarno. For whom is it? It brings glory and honor to the Almighty. That this is what you wear. That you get dressed up. That there is clothing that is unique for when you are serving Him. So, fundamental achlokas, Ibn Ezra, and Sfarno is it that parallels this hakira? Is the big day kahuna did in the coin? Is the big day kahuna? Bring honor to the Kohen, Does it bring honor to God's Baruch actually, says to be fair, says both. Does the Kovod is to Hashem, and the Teforas shey Cohen Mora Nora Akosvirav, Svirav sheim Tamidav Achakukim aliba Uksefav. So the Sforno kind of sees it as both. The Rambam, the Rambam counts the Halacha to wear big day Kahuna as one of Taryeg Mitzvos. The Rambam counts the Halacha as one of the mitzvahs, I say. Not for us, for Ka'an. In the context of the avoda. The Ramban, in the Seferah Mitzvah, jumps on the Ramban and says, what do you mean? You can't count as a mitzvah something that's only a Heksher mitzvah. You only wear clothing in order to enable you to bring the karmas. It's not a mitzvah unto itself, it's a means towards an end. So the Ramban asks on the Rambam, how does the Rambam count Big Deh as a mitzvah? So again, that's what many answer. It depends how you see the role of the kohen, of the big day kahuna. Are the clothing a means towards an end, it's about the korban, Or is the end the clothing itself? The individual himself is uplifted, is transformed. It's a din in the kohen. Lechavor or lezifaris? How does it work that way? How does it elevate the kohen? How does clothing elevate the kohen? Says the Ramban, The Ramban says, you know, these peculiar big day kahuna we're about to read about the eel, the ephod, and the choshen, the tzitz, and so on they're not arbitrary or random, but they actually parallel the clothing that kings, that royalty wore at that time. So why is the the Kohen wearing specifically this clothing? Because the Kohen is our royalty. We are in Lacha's Kohen and Vagoi Kadosh. The Kohen is our royalty. And therefore they dress like royalty. So that we give them the respect, they have their own self-respect, and it elevates their entire position. They look like and they dress like royalty. And Ramban goes through each of the, each of the Big Day Karuna and how it reflects the clothing, the transformation, transformational clothing of royalty. You know, the next week, uh, this week, is Zayin Adar, Thursday. Zayin Adar always falls partially to It's not a coincidence. What is Zayin Adar? It's Moshe Rabbeinu's birthday, Moshe Rabbeinu's insight. It's the day that's been designated as the day to honor the members of the Heber Kadisha. Every Heber Kaddisha has a Zion Adar dinner. Why is Zion Adar designated as the day to honor the Heber Kaddisha, Who do the sacred work of Taharas, and dressing in Tachrichim, and Kvura, and shiva Homs, and so on. So many suggest that Moshe Rabbeinu, who did the Tahara on Moshe? Who buried Moshe? It's one of the saddest p-sicklim. You get to the end of Devarim, and you read about how Moshe walks away by himself. Picture the funeral of Ravavagiy Yosef Zatzal recently. Almost a million Jews, unfathomable numbers. Picture of Leviah 20 years ago, Shlomo Zalman Arbach, Leviath of Rabbi Salavechik. Enormous myriads of Jews. Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatest Jew of all time. How many attended his funeral? How many gave eulogies at his funeral? How many said shit? Gornished. Or not Gornished, the opposite of Gornished, the most important. His Leviah was attended by one, the one and only one, the Rebona Shalom. So so some say because the Rebona Shalom himself took took care of the Tahara and the Kvura of Moshe, that is a day the Hevra Kadisha was given off. Hashem did the sacred duty of the Hevra. So that's the day that we honor the Hevra Kadisha. If you've ever done a Tahara, I describe Tahara as... One of the most spiritual activities you can do. You have to be spiritually attuned. You have to have a spiritual antenna. There are people who do tahara who are just very functional people. Got my checklist and I got to dress in this way and wash in this order and tie the bows in this way and do everything in this way. They're just very, you know, robotic and checklist and so on. Mechanical. But if you have some spirituality to that experience, it's an incredible, incredible experience. Everything we do in that room... Everything we do in that room speaks to the idea that the neshama of the individual is present. You know, there are Gemaras that say that when the neshama is extracted from the body, the neshama goes through immense pain. The neshama identified with that body all of its life. All of its life. The neshama saw that, what they saw in the mirror, as them. Who am I? The person in pictures, the person I see in the mirror. So we pamper ourselves and we dress ourselves and we are vain about ourselves, we care about how we look, because that's us. We can't relate to ourselves independent of our body. And Chazal teach us that to the extent that we identify with our body, when the neshama is extracted from the body, the neshama is in pain. And to the extent that we don't identify with the body, but we know all along that the body is an illusion, that the real us is the neshama, when the neshama is extracted from the body, It's described by the Kabbalists as getting undressed. You know, when you shed your clothing, when you get undressed at night, you cry. Oh, my precious clothing, that's who I am. I can't believe it's being taken off of me. No, you take off your clothing. It's so happened for me. It's the greatest thing to take this uh, noose off from around my neck. I once talked to a doctor who wears scrubs every day. He said to me, the only downside of wearing scrubs is that there's never anything more comfortable to change into when you get home from work. (laughs) But assuming you're not a doctor wearing scrubs, so you can't wait to get undressed. When you get undressed, you don't feel like it's painful. That's who you are. You're stripping your identity. You feel like I'm getting undressed. as an extraneous to who I am. Who I am has nothing to do with that clothing I wear. So the tzaddik, the righteous, when their neshama is extracted from the body, not only is it not painful, but it's described as a neshika. Yitzhiya's neshama is described as a neshika, as a kiss. It is pleasurable. It is a moment of ecstasy. The body is finally, the neshama is finally liberated from the, I get to take this tie off, the suit off. It's, not only is it not painful, it's ecstatic. So too the nishama of the righteous, it finally gets to unburden themselves from the burden and from the temptation and from the limitations of the body. So if we're anything short of a tzaddik though, it's painful and it's confusing. And so what do we do for the neshama at that moment? We give the neshama all the companionship and camaraderie and comfort that we can. And that's what tahara is all about. How do we comfort the neshama? By treating the body really, really well. By showing respect to the vessel that housed that neshama all those years. So, one would actually think the opposite. You'd think that if the neshama is immortal and eternal, and the body is disposable, the body is going to return to offer the ephraim. So why do we show the body any respect? Just get rid of it! But no, we show the body great respect in an effort to comfort the soul. So we wash the body carefully. We clean the fingernails. We clean the ears. We wash everything. We remove any extraneous tube or needle or line or catheter. We treat that body with such respect. We don't talk in the Tahara room about anything not having to do with the Tahara. Because this isn't, if you've ever been in a, a um, funeral home prep room, there's music playing, there's a TV on, they're busy making up the hair and putting on the nice clothing, and there's a Tahara room, is silent. There's no talk other than about the Neshama, other than about the Tahara. There's a candle lit in the room to symbolize the Neshama. Kineh Hashem We don't pass things over the body pass it around because you would never if the person were alive you'd never pass something over them like they're an object they're not an object this body is not just an object it's not a piece of furniture you pass something over you pass it around all the rules of the Tahara room all of them are designated to reinforce the idea that the Neshama is there and we're comforting the Neshama why am I bringing this up? because what are the Tachrichim? if you've ever had the merit of participating in a Tahara you know that when you dress the mace you are essentially dressing them as a kohen gogo The clothing of the tachrichim parallel the kohen. And there's nothing in my entire life which has been more powerful than walking into a tahara room and undoing the sheet and before you is a person who maybe has been in a freezer, I'm sorry if I'm being graphic, but who's been in a freezer for a few days or maybe in front of you is a person who was in the hospital for weeks who's soiled and who's blemished and who has all kinds of lines, who has hair is not kept. Maybe in front of you is a person who even died from an accident or some other means. And the process of Tahara transforms them from that to by the time that you put the mace into the aron in the coffin, you are looking at the high priest on the holiest day of the year. And that brings incredible comfort to the Neshama. And you feel, you can almost palpably feel the presence of the Neshama in that room. It's unbelievable. So when is it that we have Zion Adar? When do we honor the work of the chevrakadisha, Kadisha? Who does that sacred work in the most modest way. Their names don't go in lights. The family of the Mace don't know who did the Tahara on their loved one. There's never credit given. Our chevrakadisha Kadisha is constructed in an incredible way. That it's Mitzvah goreris Mitzvah we serve two funeral homes, we do their taharas, and every penny that the family family pays for tahara goes directly to Tom Hisham's. So, not true for all Hevra Kadishas, but our Hevra Kadisha is based purely on volunteers. They are not rewarded or offered one penny. Not one moment of honor. Their name is not listed anywhere, ever, anytime. It is the most holy rewarding work there can be, and you literally see the big day kahuna come alive as you transform, or transform a person from a hospitalized, soiled, not to suggest anyone is neglected, but just the nature of death, to the high priest. It's incredible. It says the Ramban, to a melech, they are a king. The neshama is comforted and finally ready to go upstairs and to be able to experience its identity independent of that body which was treated with such dignity and treated with such honor. So it says there in Baal the Sifaris, the Big Day Kahuna, the coin in the base of Nikdash, wears these Big Day Kahuna because it transforms them. Not in death, but in life. In life it transforms them and earns the admiration, the honor, the color of the Sifaris. And it takes very special people in order to achieve that. It's not your ordinary tailor. Again, mm-hmm. Now you speak to those who are chachmei Leiv. Not just anybody can tailor such clothing, can make tachrichim, but even going into the clothing, the big day koluna, the koluna more in the base of mitzvah has to be people who are wise of heart. What does it mean to be wise of heart? Chach ve'alev. What is wise of heart? Says the Balaturim. The Gematria, yiras. Mishanila yiras Hashem. Anishnema rishis chachma yiras Hashem. The beginning of wisdom is yiras Hashem. Yira, of course, not being fear, but yira more accurately defined as awe, the accurate translation. Awe. The beginning of wisdom is the capacity to have awe. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal today about researchers... I may talk about it on Shabbos, so if you're going to be here, don't listen. But researchers discovered that people who have the capacity for awe have more meaningful relationships, which is exactly what all of Judaism is about. The humility and the capacity to learn and the ability to care, empathize, all comes from feeling awe, which is humility that there's something greater than yourself, that there's more to this world than you. That's what Yerashanayim, Yerashanayim, to live life with Yerashanayim, means to live life with the capacity for awe, to be in awe of the Almighty and the world He created, to be in awe of the people He created and what they're capable of doing. And only when you can feel awe can you connect. If you're so arrogant that nothing is worthy of awe because you're the be-all and end-all, it begins and ends with you, you're everything, so you can't feel awe of anything else because that would admit that there's something other than you worthy of awe then you're not going to have very meaningful relationships. So chach may who are the wise of heart? Those who have Yira Shanaim. Those who are capable of Yira. Those are the ones who tailor this special clothing. Whose purpose is L'Kachau, lechahanoli. We mentioned earlier, L'Chavod the hakira in day Kahuna. Is it a din in the Avod, is it a din in the Kohanim? Maybe that's represented in Kavod and Tifaris. Kavod is korbanos, Tepharos is the Kavanim. L'Kadcho is korbanos, Hashem L'cha'an Oli, again is the Kavanim. The Big Day Kahuna play the dual role. They bring honor to Hashem, the distinction, and they bring honor to the Kavanim themselves as well. Okay, Rasha, L'Kadcho L'cha'an Oli, L'Kadcho. lachniso B'Kahuna Ayide'a B'Gadim. Shei K'o'en Li. Vashem K'ahuna, Shei Yasu. Shei Rut Luumi. What does mean? Lu'min means national, what is She'ud? Service. Says Rashi, Kahuna is Lashon Sherus. Kuhuna means to be in service. How do you show somebody you're in service, you're serving? Through the uniform that you wear. You're proud of that uniform. That uniform is a uniform of service. Rabbi describes, the Rav described it as follows. People appointed by the public, such as government officials, have always worn uniforms. The uniform indicates that the one wearing it holds an office is endowed with authority. Even an absolute monarch wears a uniform to distinguish himself from the ordinary citizen. Leadership and distinction express themselves in distinctive garments. The dignity of man lies in his dress. Dignity, unlike any other capability, must be planted into a person. If dignity is not part of his educational process, he will never possess it. Dignity does not come on its own. In a king or ruler, personal capabilities or the lack of them often go unnoticed. However, lack of dignity is noticed, and the ruler that exhibits it is punished by the people. Clothing is an expression, not of the intellect, but of the dignity of man. And uniforms imply that those donning them are especially selected by the people, and they're given certain privileges that others do not receive. It's a beautiful insight of the Rav, and it's actually enforcing what we saw from the Kaliakar. The crave Mitokh Israel. When someone's wearing a uniform, what do you know about them? To be a member of the NYPD, to be a member of the you know, New York Fire Department. Remember after 9 11 how people proudly wore those hats? You saw somebody in uniform, you see an Israeli soldier, what you immediately feel towards them. You see somebody in a uniform, the uniform implicitly suggests that they achieved that position from the people, that they're serving the people. It's meaningless. If I make up my own uniform for plural, and I dress up, it's meaningless. The uniform one wears is only meaningful if it reflects the power that is imbued in them by the people. Mitoch b'nei Yisrael. Clothing is not an expression of the intellect, but of dignity of man. Uniforms imply that donning them are especially selected by the people. And given certain privileges that others do not receive. There's a special aspect of humility that is indispensable to positions of power. One's authority comes not from within, says the Rav, but from without. God wanted the Kohen Gadol to realize that he was undeserving of his position. When he wore his uniform, the Kohen Gadol recognized that he filled his role not due to his own merits, which were insufficient for anyone to assume such a high office. The same was true of the king. Without the doning of the royal garments, he would not have the authority to act as a king. Beautiful inside of the roof. Why does one wear a uniform? To remind them that their power doesn't come from intrinsic, their power doesn't come from within, their power doesn't come from their own worthiness, their power only emanates from it being bestowed from without. And only those who gave them the uniform gave them their power, and they also have the ability to take away that uniform. That's the power of a uniform. There was a lot of discussion on the current president uh, six years ago, the first time he took a picture in the Oval Office without his jacket on. You may remember some of the articles that came out. Because, I don't know if it was all the presidents who came before him, but I think it was George Bush before him, who made a specific point of saying that he would never remove his jacket in the Oval Office. Because Lahavdil Havdil Avdelos, the Oval Office is the Kodesh Akadashim of the United States of America. And he is laavdeh, the laavdeh, laavdeh. And you don't take off your jacket. There's not, you don't bring a casual attitude. You're not informal. You don't put your feet up on the desk. Some of the other images that have come. So that's what the Rabb is saying. When you wear that uniform, when you bring that dignity and that respect, you're recognizing that the power that you have or the authority, the position that you have comes from without doesn't come from within and it causes you to bring greater honor and dignity to what you do. The love concludes, Moshe on the other hand, required no special vestment in his position of leadership. His greatness was earned and not bestowed. Moshe, it did come from within, and that's why Moshe didn't have special begadah. But Aaron and his descendants, it was the Kacholkahanoli. It was Le Kavot The clothing came in order the clothing came in order for them to realize that they served the people at the will of the people and that it could be removed from them. I'll end by sharing with you, but with the right to reserve this to use an drush another time because it's too good. But an incredible um, study that came out. It was a couple years ago It came out. It's not new. I just learned about it. In the Journal of Experimental Social Psychology, Dr. Adam Galinsky, a professor at the Kellogg School of Management in Northwestern, So he did a study where um, 58 undergraduates were randomly assigned to wear a white lab coat or street clothing. They could either wear a white lab coat, they could dress up like a doctor, scientist, or they could wear their jeans. They were given a test for selective attention based on their ability to notice incongruities, like when the word red appears in the color green. Those who wore the white lab coat made half as many errors as those who wore regular clothing. In the second experiment, 74 students were randomly assigned to one of three options. You could wear a doctor's coat, you could wear a white painter's coat, or you could see a doctor's coat. And they were given a test for sustained attention. They had to look at two similar pictures side by side and spot four minor differences. Those who wore the doctor's coat, which was identical to the painter's coat, both were white. You just took it from a pile that said a doctor's coat, or you took it from a pile that said a painter's coat. Those that wore what they thought was or identified as the doctor's coat, found more differences. They had heightened attention. Those that wore the painter's coat, or were primed with merely seeing the doctor's coat, found fewer differences between the images. The third experiment and so on. Basically what it found was that what you wear has an impact on your cognitive abilities. Forget just your dignity and self-respect. You are what you wear. Clothing makes the man or woman. If you're wearing that very same white coat that you think it comes from a doctor, you, come, you pay closer attention. And if you wear a white coat that you think comes from a painter, not that there's anything wrong with being a painter, you pay less attention. Our clothing has an enormous impact on who we are. And to be a Mamlachas Koanim, if we are a nation of Koanim, we are to the world what the Kaanim are to us, then we as Jews wear big day koanim. Then our begotum need to reflect the chavad ulutifaris on us. We have to be distinguished in our dress, just like the koanim had to be distinguished in their service. So, there's a lot more to talk about. We are out of time. Wishing everyone a wonderful week and a very Elyam uh, No class next week. I'll be away at APAC and you should be too. So, if you want to meet at APAC and study the Parsha, you can do that. But uh, otherwise, we're off next week, and we'll see you in two weeks.